Well, if you're not already there, turn with me to Paul's letter to the Philippian church. We're going to be in verses 21 to 26 this morning. This is kind of the end of Paul reporting to the Philippian church his circumstances. And so let's pray just briefly as we get time get started our time in the Word. Father, we pray uh, for the next several minutes that we have together as we look at your word where you have spoken to us through your servant, Paul, and as he writes to the church in Philippi, or that what we've already heard uh, would be at work in our hearts for uh, the message Nico uh, is preaching to us this morning is the message of this text and of this letter. This letter that we say is about joy uh, is no mere surface joy. Joy is the melody of the heart that delights itself in Christ. The basis of Paul's joy from the beginning to the end of this letter is Christ himself. And so, Father, might you help us continue to see and to understand, Lord, and to reflect on our lives and not simply to do and to not do things differently but to delight ourselves in Christ increasingly and find that as we do that, we change, we repent, we turn away because of our delight in Christ from sin to follow him. And so, Father, teach us, meet us each one this morning where we have need and have your way in us through your word by your spirit, we pray. Amen. Let me read uh, verses 21 through 26 to you this morning. We'll jump in for the time that we've got. We started a little late, and so we'll end a little bit late. So just managing expectations, all right? Basically, we have no time clock on me this morning, right? All right. Verses 21 to 26, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. This is we start to think about this text a little bit this morning and life and how it works with life. The, the place I want to think about a little bit is uh, how we think about work and rest. How we think about work and rest. Why do you work? Well, the... Good answer may be in some sense that I work to provide for the things we need, right? That I work just to have what we need to have. Now, there's a conversation to be had at another time about how you're defining what you need. You know, our teenage kids sometimes will come to us and, Daddy, I need. And then they'll tell us what we need. And we say, hold on a second. And they go, I know. Okay, Daddy, I want, um, you know, because what they said they needed, they don't need. They just want it. They need it for something they want to do, and so they need it, right? And so there's, there's great conversations to have there, but there's a practical necessity of work to provide, 
But in reality, as we live our lives, there's those practical realities about what is really in the depths of our hearts. Why do we work? We work to, in America, we work to rest. Think about it. A lot of us, we work, we work to rest. There's those things we want to do that have nothing to do with work. There's those things we need to have to do the things we want to do. And so we work to have those things to do the things that we find most restful, right? What's the point of working 40 and 50 and 60 years of your adult life? So we can retire, which means what? We all think it means rest from work, (laughs) right? And everybody that has retired just guffaws because they find they're busier doing all the things their grandkids and their kids want to do and need them to help them do and all the other things that they thought they wanted to do. And we find that we don't find much rest in our retirement. And wasn't that the point of it all along was to rest? So I'm you pick up and read John Piper's Don't Waste Your Life. You ever read that book? Seen that book? Heard about that book? The picture that many of us have of our retirement, you know, as a couple, let's say, is on Destin Beach in Florida, waking up in the morning with a cup of hot coffee and walking with the waves washing our feet and picking up seashells. This is what a waste of these prime years we have left to worship God with on this earth. And we just spend much of our lives getting ready to rest. Think about how this affects dynamics at the house. Mom's been home. Moms, you've been there if you're not there right now. And you've been home all day with those kids just like this, all day long, verbally and physically, all over you. And there goes my mic. (laughs) Sound effects. Left shoulder, shoulder, thank you. Right? And then dad gets home. And what's mom think in her mind? Rest. Rest. Finally, he's here. And dad's been at work all day, wearing himself out, and he hits the house, and he thinks... Rest. If you've been married ever with kids, you know the fight that ensues. You know, the Cold War that gets engaged in. The passive-aggressive tactics that we begin to utilize. The things ultimately that come out the side of our mouth as we talk to each other. Ultimately because we both just need rest. Right? Right? The end of our day, the end of our week, what's our weekend for? In our culture, in our minds, rest. What's the end of our career for? Rest. What's the end of our life for? Hallelujah, we will 
Rest. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Yes. Go read Revelation 21 and 22. Where do you spend eternity? It's not in the heavenly places. You know where it is? Some of you know. Right back here. Not here. New creation. New heavens. New earth. What might you do then? Well, it might look like Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 where there's a stewardship you have and there are things to care for. There is labor and work to do. Yes, we sweat by the toil of our brow because the curse of sin on the earth. Did you know that work is not a curse of God? Work existed in the garden. It's not like it is now, but there was still work to be done. There's still stewardship that takes place. And so although we, our labor was foiled by sin so that we toil by the sweat of our brow now, work will find its own restoration in Christ and new heavens and new earth. That matters. It matters to us how we think about work and rest. Right? Yes, we have the need for work. There's wisdom in what work we do and how we do work. And we need to rest. Genesis 1, God works to create for six day and then he rests and sanctifies the seventh day to make it holy. And so what, what does our rest actually look, about, look like? Relaxation? That may be involved. A rest from labor. But ultimately that day is to remember God and to revere God. And remembering Him and having reverence for Him actually is restful to your soul. Have you ever gone on your vacation where you thought you were going to rest? Right? And you spent all that time down by the river throwing the line in the water, and someone's like, what'd you catch? Nothing. Well, if you, yep, that'd mean I'd have to put bait on. (laughs) Catching's not the point. That's work. I didn't come here to work. You know, you spent all week long with your feet up under the cabana with a great book in your lap. And then you get home and you feel rested. How often do you not feel Rested. You may physically be rested. You may emotionally be rested. But unless you spent some concerted time with your Bible in your lap and reading Scripture and praying and going before the Lord with your life, you don't come back spiritually rested and rejuvenated. And you don't have to go away to find that rest at all. That's a rest that's available to us day by day by day by day. And all of that matters because what about when life gets hard and when things are difficult and you experience trials of various kinds and you find yourself 
in a position like Paul, or whether it's because of the faith you're imprisoned or because uh, of life and you're facing the very real prospect of the end of life. And what does it look like in those moments? What's your expectation? What are you looking for? Are you looking forward most to rest the way we think about resting? That's not at all what we've seen from Christ or from Paul here, is it? Paul so far in verses 12 down to 21 has spoken to us about the joy of gospel fellowship, this church that participates and has fellowship with him in this gospel ministry, that they've been supporters of him. He's talked about uh, his joy in the gospel being proclaimed. He's got soldiers shackled to him, and it's not that he is shackled to soldiers, but they are shackled to him. He has them all day long to share the gospel with them. And so the gospel has gone forth to all the Praetorian Guard and to everyone else there in Rome. His concern has been the gospel growth or the sanctification of this Philippian church. And so he's thinking and praying for them that they would know God's truth and wisdom, that God's truth and wisdom would work that change in their lives. So their sincerity of faith, that which they profess matches with how they live their lives. And now there's blamelessness, there's holiness, godliness in their lives so that their lives are full of the fruit of just of righteousness. There's been actual change take place in them. That there's this super seeding joy. It doesn't matter whether I live or I die. My joy's in Christ. And so you come here to verse 21. To live for to me. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Think about just the first part of that phrase. We, we just can't skip. We touched on it very briefly last week. We just can't skip by it. It's, although it's, they talk about the Greek is rough here. You know, is Paul putting down a theological commandment? No, he's really describing his heart. This is just his own heart bubbling to the surface and he's emotionally expressing himself. But what you see what, from what he's already reported and what he's going to teach to this church and where he's going to land in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and the final exhortations he has to this church is this truth in verse 21. That to live Christ. It's appositional. There's not an is in the Greek. You're meant to, I think, take a, just a short selah. For to me to live Christ. In a word, Jesus. It means exactly what we started our morning with. My whole delight. And joy is in him. 
Why? Because as I get to see, he is the word who is with God. He is the word who was God, John 1, 1. He is the word who comes into the world and no one having ever seen God. He's the one who explains God to us. He's the exact representation of his nature and the radiance of his glory. And so as we see God and the perfections of God in every aspect, you either find him heinous or you find him glorious. There's not a middle ground there. The more you delve into who God is, the more glorious you find him to be. You see Christ, you see God. And so now my life, if my life, uh, if I'm in my mind and my heart, I'm delighting myself and I'm loving the Lord with all my heart, my mind and my soul and my strength and my life itself is now Christ, truly. It begins to change everything about how I think. This little phrase really gets as deep in us as it can go. If you take some time and think about it a little bit. For to me to live, Christ begins to expose a little bit about what we most deeply feel really to be true. We think about rest, work and rest the way we do and work in some sense culturally. The idea bound to work is rest and our expectation, if we're honest, is rest day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, end of our life, eternity, rest. Because there's this thing really deep in the heart of our flesh that tells us and we live it and we think it. If you're honest, that life is about me. Life is about me. Think about all the ways that we just, without thinking about it, foster that in one another. We like to go to little kids, and it's really cute to go ask the seven, the eight-year-old, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm just going to ask you to think about it. You know what you're asking that kid to think about? How is your life going to be about you when you get older? What are you going to be when you grow up? Where is God in that question? Don't assume that he's a part of the question. We don't ask children or Teenagers, as you're 17 and 18 years old and everybody starts asking you incessantly, right? You going to college? Where are you going to college? What are you going to college to be or to do? You're making a life decision right now for your joy, for your provision, for your retirement. For my retirement, right? 
you're going to take care of me when I get there, okay? You better have a good job, you know. What are you going to be and what are you going to do? Why, why don't we ask them, how are you thinking to honor the Lord with your life as you get older? It feels religiously trite to us. Right? It feels, you know, weird. But honestly, if our delight is in the Lord, are we asking our children and one another, how, how are you going to delight yourself in the Lord as you get older? What has the Lord given you in terms of gifts, abilities, aptitudes, things you enjoy? How do those things come together as you are seeing them right now that, that you might be able to delight yourselves in the Lord in your life? How might the Lord be setting the path before you. We, as we're adults, we've already made those decisions and we, so we start to ask, what, what will you do when you retire? In other words, what is your self-fulfillment plan you've been prepping for for the last 45 years? Right? What's that look like? Rather than how are you going to honor the Lord when you retire? What's it going to look like for you to just continue to light yourself in him with your life when you're done with work and you don't need to work anymore? If you're not there yet, what's it look like for you to delight yourself in the Lord this week at work? Why is work so overly burdensome to us so often? We don't see how we can honor the Lord there often. What are the opportunities the Lord gives us to make him known in that place by a life that delights itself in him, right? You just start thinking through how we think about life. Life is, in our culture, about things to have or things to attain to, the activities we can do. It's ultimately about self-fulfillment. Look at everything out there. It's about me, my entertainment, my enjoyment, ultimately my own freedom. It's my life. It's not your life. You stay out of it. Which is why I don't want you asking me why or how I'm going to honor the Lord with my life. Because then I've got to think about it. If I don't ask you, you won't ask me. And we're all okay. Right? We have this thing where... We know Christ and we know Christ should get at least some of our life. But practically speaking, if we're honest, we, we reserve a lot of our life for ourselves. Life is mine. But your life isn't yours. You were bought with a price. It's not yours. It's his. You actually were never your own. Romans 6, you were in slavery to sin. It wasn't your life. The lie of your life is that it's your life, but you're living it in service to sin and death. And if you're Christ's, you no longer live it in service to sin and death. You now are slaves to righteousness. And so don't go on continuing to present your members, your body as instruments of sin. You've been freed from that to walk in newness, of life.
So our, our faith, the Bible, doesn't leave room for life to be my life. Life rightly seen is his. Life is, in a word, Christ. If my delight is in Christ, all the labor and the work of ministry that he can set before me, he provides for. And all of it, as burdensome as it can be, as sorrowful as some of it can be, as you are wading through the mess of sin in your own life or someone else's life, but as God is Christ is our life and we're delighting in him, God provides what we need in all those moments. The love of God abounds within us because the spirit of God has poured forth his love in us. In both senses, we know the love of God experientially, but also the actual love of God now is poured forth within us to abound from us. If we're not quenching the work of the Spirit, if we're not delighting ourselves in the things of the world more than Him, life is Christ. It is delighting yourself in him. This is why Paul at the end of Romans, remember Romans was written a couple of years before Philippians, after he gets through that theological portion of his letter through verse or chapter eight in particular in the question of Israel and nine, 10 and 11. And as he turns to his first words of application, therefore, my brothers, my sisters in Christ, in view of God's mercies, present your lives, your bodies as living sacrifices unto him. Is that a part of who you are? It's every part of who you are, which is your reasonable act of service for worship unto him. Life is in a word, Christ. That's what our life is. And so that, that thought encompasses the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. That thought encompasses the great commission. If my life is Christ and I am here to delight in him and to make him known, high priestly prayer, Father, I have glorified you on earth. I have delighted myself in you in every way. Therefore, I have been obedient in every way. I've been righteous altogether. But now I send you guys to go do the same. That's why we're here. It's about our joy in Christ. And I'm thankful we looked at it before, but just to bring it up again, right? This is not a legalistic thing. This is our growth and our sanctification in him. Paul, we'll get to that great text, but near the end of it in chapter three, verse 12, it's not that I've already obtained or have already become perfect, but I press on. I continue to press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. I've been laid hold of by Christ, in Christ, through the gospel to delight myself in the Lord and by doing so to glorify God with my life. And so I press on 
And I consider everything else as loss for this. Not that I'm perfect yet. So easy to look at Paul and then say, it's it's Paul. You know, I'm not Paul. Could be. You have the same spirit in you that he did. You have the same savior he did. You can delight yourself in the Lord as he did. You, You can be. Like him. I, that's why he'll say Ephesians 5, be imitators of me. Not because he thinks so greatly of himself, but because all of who he is is striving to imitate his Savior. And if that's what you're doing, you can ask other people to do the same. And so you can be like that. And so to live is in a word, it is, Christ. You just have to sit back and think about your expectations at the end of the day when you've been there with all the kids all day long or running around with them all day long, you know, or the grandkids, whatever stage of life you may be in. Dad gets home. The kids come to pick up the grandkids. Rest, right? That's my expectation. I'm looking forward all day long. What it is that gets me through the day is to know I can rest later. You know what should have got me through the day? Is to know that everything I'm doing during that day is a part of my delighting in Jesus. That's what gets me through the day. It's what should get me through the day, right? Listen, I'm right there with Paul. I talked to my wife. Hey, Nikki, do you think that's what gets Rick through every day? And she'll go, no. No, she'll actually look at you and go, no, because she knows me. But will I with Paul when we get to chapter three, will I count all things lost and press? Am I willing or am I going to give myself an out? Am I going to change how I think about my life to come into conformance with Christ or not? You know, the Lord does these things. I mean, Nico just contacted me the other day. We're like, he's like, I've got this Sunday and we're on this text, Right? And it's not the changing of the doing that changes this dynamic. You won't be rested. It's the changing of what your delight is in. It's 1 John 2. Don't love the world or the things in the world. They are all going away. None of them last. But your life with Christ is eternal. And we're just on the front porch of it here. When you close your eyes to this earth and this life, you've just rung the doorbell. It's a life that is to come. And even then, you're just in the foyer, so to speak, because you're waiting on when your body, your spirit is once again clothed in glorified flesh and you're in a new creation. And now we're there worshiping 
the service of worship to our God in the presence of God and communion with God, delighting in God for eternity. And that's life. That life is our life. That life is what we're looking forward to. And so that's the life we make our life to be now. So to live is, is Christ. And if that's how our life is, then it's not hard to say with Paul to die is gain. There's this, this sense, yes, in here of the ultimate gain where my faith becomes sight. Some of you heard maybe this past Friday, Tim Keller, who's been a great icon in the faith. I will read certain ones of his works and books for decades to come. Uh, has been dealing with cancer for the last three years, and he closed his eyes for the final time in this life, Friday morning, and went to be with the Lord. His faith is now sight. And there's that aspect here, to die is gain. There's that gain. But many commentators, as they look at this, are looking within this letter. There's more, there's more here in Paul's mind. It's not just that I'll see Christ, But in my dying and how I die, there's the sharing, chapter 3, verse 10, the sufferings of Christ. See, if life is about rest, we don't like pain. If life is about rest, we don't like suffering. But our Christ suffered, and as he continued to perfectly delight himself in the Father, God was most glorified in that moment. That's the most glorious moment in human history is the death of our Savior in our place for our sins as he just simply delights himself in the Father and continues because of that to obey him and to honor him and to show him. And every attribute of God is shown in the cross of Jesus Christ. Where Christ is most often shown most clearly is when his people suffer. And so we, we don't understand suffering well here in the United States, do we, Nico? He hadn't been afraid to tell us things this morning. So, <laughs> you know, if you've been anywhere else in any other country, almost in the world, you understand We don't really understand what hardship really looks like here. And yet, when it's hard, it's hard. And to us, it's hard. And so you still have to approach it the same way. If I suffer as I'm obedient to the Lord, if I suffer, if God knows, he does know, God knows the, the day and the time and the means and the method of our death, And as that time comes and Paul feels like it may be close, then if I can glorify Christ in my body, whether I live, he says in this text, right? Just before it, uh, verse 20. This is what will be true. Christ will now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. It is that there is a gain to me as even as I come to my death, no matter the sufferings, as I learn and share in chapter 3, verse 10, the the sufferings of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
And so that makes sense then of the rest of this text. He says, now, if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor to me. What he literally has here is now, if I am to live on in the flesh, if I'm not, this is not normally, we say flesh is a negative term. This is, I'm going to live either way, right? If I die right now, when I go to trial and they condemn me, if that happens, I mean, I die in the flesh, but I'm alive in Christ. And so if I'm going to continue to live in this body, that's all he's saying. This to me, what he says literally in the language is this to me, fruit of labor. This to me, fruit of labor. And so it's often translated fruitful labor. But the first thing that's there really is this to me, fruit of labor. Work. Not just work, work. Some of that too. Paul was a tent maker. He got by by working. So there's some of the just work work that's practical, but the labor of ministry, the reasonable or rational service of worship. If I continue to live on in this body, then what's before me? Most of us would have in the back of our mind rest. I mean, I got to rest before I get back to. And you see Paul just straight to labor. If I am to stay on in the body, what it means to me is ministry. You, you see that in Paul in one of the just to me just moments that blows me away in the middle of, I think, his second missionary journey. I always get it. I think it's Lystra. It might be Iconium. They get run out of another city, but this time they drag Paul out for what he's preaching. Do you remember? They stone him. And you see in that moment, Paul lived this out. Some suspect he died and the Lord resuscitated him. At the very least, he was near death. And he stands up. Well, I guess they don't like us there. We ought to go to the next place, right? I mean lick my wounds and rest up on the road. We don't have to get there as fast as we had planned. We we probably ought to rest up a little bit between this one and that one, you know. So what he does, do you remember? He stands right back up and he heads back to his first steps straight back into that city. Can you imagine? They, I mean, they just tried to kill you. Which is apparently in his mind just further evidence they need to hear the gospel. (laughs) And it doesn't matter. And they have to lay their hands on him and not like we're praying for you, but like to restrain him. And and no, let's let's go this way. He he was ready to go right back in there. If I'm to live on in the flesh, this to me is Labor, ministry, and then the fruit that comes from that ministry. Catch verse 23. So he says, then, uh, and I don't, he says at the end of 22 there, I don't know which to choose. Not that he has a choice in the matter. He knows, Paul would tell you, this is all in the hands of God. But the sense of the word here is, I don't know which to prefer. 
If, if you ask me to tell you which I want, I, I don't know which I'd want. So verse 23, I'm actually, I'm hard pressed from both directions. I have the desire to depart. The word means to, to break camp. And so to leave a place, I have the desire to leave this life and be with Christ for that's very much better. Amen. It is. And yet to remain on in the flesh, again, not negative sense, but just here in this body is much more necessary for your sake. I'm stuck between the two. And he's not stuck Greek mythology between Scylla and Charybdis. Remember reading the Iliad and the Odyssey? You got up there on a mountain through a narrow pass of water. Looks like a hydra, a many-headed monster, and he'll just, just reach down on the ship and take some more d'oeuvres one person at a time, you know. And you got in front of you the, the whirlpool that is strong enough three times a day. It'll suck ships to the bottom and it'll wreck and drown everybody and you're, you're stuck between the two, it's, some say it's kind of the genesis of the thought you're between a rock and a hard place or the lesser of two evils or the bad thing, the worst thing. Paul's stuck between two good things. Do I depart and go see Christ? And you see, you see like he's not bemoaning the difficulties of life and the things that ail and the things that hurt and all the wounds and the pains and the sins of the world. He's, he's, not, it's, he's not stuck between Christ and that. If you're stuck between those two things, let's go see Jesus. I'm stuck between the good of seeing my Savior and, I'm, and the other good of staying here and continuing to do the ministry that he said before me to do. The labor, the work that he's given me. I'm stuck between the two. I don't know which to choose. Yet to remain on in the flesh, verse 24, he says, is more necessary for your sake. There's, there's something here. And he says, convinced of this. And that's that word there. Uh, convinced is, is in this sense to be convicted. He, there seems to be a, Spirit-led insight for Paul here as he thinks about this church. I see here the opportunity to remain on and to continue to do gospel ministry with you and among you and see the fruit of the gospel in you and through you and together and so it looks like he has an inkling that this imprisonment won't end with his death. He's not certain here. He's not claiming it here. But he seems to have some spiritual insight here. And it comes not because of what he wants for himself, but what he sees as the Lord still having in front of him. What's the ministry there yet that I could do. And so convinced of this, I, I know there's some certainty here. I think that I'll remain and continue with you all for three things. Your progress in the faith, which he laid out for us in verses 9, 10, and 11 in that prayer. What's that look like to know God's 
word, truth, and wisdom. Then knowing truth and wisdom, the right application of truth, the approving, understanding rightly what's excellent so that now my life begins to demonstrate in it as I delight myself in the Lord, integrity of faith, what I say I believe is how I live and there's blamelessness or holiness and godliness until the day of Christ and my life is filled with the fruit literally of righteousness of God that comes through Christ, which is to now the glory and the praise of God as verse nine, your love for Christ and God, your delighting in him just abounds all the more and all the more. This, if I remain on, there's this opportunity for your progress in the faith. There's this opportunity for your joy, verse 25, in the faith. In verse 26, there's this proud confidence that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ. Your confidence in seeing me delivered from the trial and from chains and going back to ministry and the gospel ministry you participate in with. It's, this is no boasting in Paul. Paul would never have you boast in him. But as we participate together, chapter one, verse five and seven there, that our boasting, your boasting is in me, but ultimately in Christ Jesus as I come to you again. You see it there? To live is Christ. To die in this life, to die is gain in the experience of death and in what comes after death. And so while I'm still here, what do I get to do Work towards rest now. Continue in the labor, the work of the service of worship in Christ to our God. Why? For the salvation of souls, for the sanctification of souls, knowing Christ and growing in Christ. Progress in the faith, joy, delight. To delight together in him. That our mutual boast would be in the things we see the Lord doing. You know, I can say my joy can ebb and flow just like yours. To the greatest most joyful years consistently in my life were when I was just riding the ragged edge of seeing what the Lord had day by day and seeing the Lord at work and not knowing what tomorrow brung, but I was going to get up and see what it was. You know how quickly we lose that here with the practicalities of life and work and rest because we don't truly orient our lives to him and delight in him as we ought and can, right? So to live Christ, 
To live Christ. To live is to delight yourself in Christ. If we can see that, we can begin to talk about where it's not true. Humbly. We can talk with others about that. Then we can go to the mat with them about it. The question is, as Nico put it this morning, truly, what do I delight myself in the most? In every part of my life, what I want from my spouse or what I, by God's commandment and grace, give to them. What I want from or for my kids or by God's commandment and grace is I delight in them what I give to them. What I want from you as the church or the church or by God's commandment and grace what God's called me to give to you and to the church. What I want from this culture because I don't want it doing what it's doing, do I? Or what God's called me to give, which is Christ, to them. To live is Christ. Think about it. Think about it. Pray about it. Talk about it. Delight yourself in Him. Let's see what the Lord does. <coughs> Father, we thank You for Your Word and its truths. Let us, O oh Lord, as we sing, reflect uh, on the truths just in the songs we sing and how all these things come together in their fullness. And not just today in this service, but week by week. It's not just this message or last week's message. It's, it's the message of this letter as we go through it slowly. Let us, let us track with the mind and the heart of Paul. This letter of joy. But it's so clearly in this letter rooted in Christ. That life is Christ. Oh Lord, show us, Father, where we need repentance and we need to delight ourselves in our Savior. Let us, oh Lord, by your grace and your mercy through your Spirit, repent. Let us delight in you individually, together as your people, your church. Lord, may we just watch, God, what you do as we're changed by Christ, in Christ, for Christ. May you have your way in us, your people, your servants. For your glory, for our joy, we pray. Amen.